This is Africa Digest. Wednesday the 8th of January, eight days into the year. It's 1700 hours Central African time. Good afternoon and welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Auckland Park, Johannesburg, South Africa. And we're available on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Magesi in studio with Onelin Sintsi, Tracy Boomgaard as well as Neto Chimani. A couple of top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Several communities in Cameroon's English-speaking northwest and southwest regions attacked at least five camps belonging to separatist fighters. Political parties in South Africa prepare for more work ahead of the 2021 local government elections. And four death row convicts will be executed on January 22nd for the, 26th, for the uh, 2012 fatal gang rape of a student in Delhi. Also, would like it if you stuck around for our business as well as sporting news with Tracy Boomgaard and Nedo Chimani. But right now, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here's Onelin Sinsi with your latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samara. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has warned that his country would strike back hard against anyone who attacks it. He was reiterating his support for U.S. killing of Iranian military commander Hassim Soleimani, saying Israel stands completely beside U.S. President Donald Trump's decision. Soleimani was killed in a drone strike in Baghdad last Friday on Trump's orders. In retaliation, Iran launched a missile attack on U.S.-led forces in Iraq this morning. The BBC's Jeremy Bowens reports. We do apologize for not being able to play that sound. Canada has joined a number of countries in issuing a travel warning asking its citizens to avoid non-essential travel to Iran hours after Iran launched missile attacks on U.S.-led forces in Iraq. The statement from the Canadian government cites the ongoing volatile security situation, the regional threat of terrorism and risk of arbitrary detention. Iran's attack came in retaliation for a U.S. drone strike on top of Iranian commander Hassim Suleiman, who's killing his race fears of a war in the Middle East. Ugandan police have again dismissed a meeting of opposition People's Power Movement Party. The police chased off organizers as they undertook ground preparations for political consultations by leader Bobby Wine, whose real name is Robert Ikiagulanyi. The Daily Monitor reported that the coordinators went to the venue uh, for the meeting. The Grand Pacific Hotel in Lira Town, but were chased away by police who had been deployed overnight to block the consultative exercise. Police have claimed this team did not obtain written permission from the management of the hotel, allowing them to use the facility. Bobby Wine was on Monday arrested on charges of unlawful assembly and inadequate preparation for his consultation event. A singer turned politician as det- was detained rather along with a host of collabor- collaborators while police strayed tear guests to disperse his protesting supporters. 
Lastly, forces loyal to renegade General Khalifa Haftar in Libya are now in control of Sia. It's the birthplace of former ruler Muammar Gaddafi. The South Star Libyan National Army fighters took control of the coastal city late on Monday. Siite had been under the control of the Tripoli-based government since 2016. Forces loyal to the internationally recognized government of national courts say they withdrew from Siite to avoid civilian casualties. The city of 120,000 is in strategic assets for Haftar, whose administration is based in Benghazi. It is also located on supply routes between eastern, western and southern Libya. Haftar is backed by Egypt. The United Arab Emirates and some European countries is keen to amass more territory before Turkish troops arrive to help the rival administration in Tripoli. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelin Sinsi. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. We'll start off in Cameroon where several communities and English-speaking northwest and southwest regions have within a week attacked at least five camps belonging to separatist fighters whom they accuse of destroying civilian homes, looting and killing innocent people. The angry civilians say they do not know who to count on as the military also commits similar crimes on them. Moki Kinzeka reports from the English-speaking northwestern town of Bamenda in Cameroon. These are about 150 women and children of the English-speaking northwestern village of Babungo singing on Tuesday that they will henceforth fight together against separatists they say have been committing atrocities in their village. 55-year-old farmer Marie Najela, who says separatists killed her husband after accusing him of collaborating with the Cameroon military, is leading the group. The one for key we all. But for ya, we don't deny. May they take me for the, this day with their hands. So Najela says they are saying no to separatist plans to either eliminate all of them or see them suffer. She says all of them, women and children, must work together to protect each other and their property. In hand to hand, we are going The women and children marched to the palace of their traditional ruler, Dofua Zofia, whom villagers saved from being abducted by seven separatist fighters on Monday night. Zofia says he is grateful to his people who came out threatening to fight back and the separatists surrendered and escaped. Why should my people and I be tortured like this? They have abducted candidates for the local council and parliamentary elections. They have looted, kidnapped innocent people, collected ransom and killed civilians. Enough is enough, says Zofia. Babungo is not the only village with growing anti-separatist fighters' sentiments. Last week, the population of the English-speaking village of Balikumbat attacked camps belonging to separatist fighters, seized guns and stolen items, including goats and cows. The incident was provoked when the separatists ordered a motorcycle taxi driver to contribute $10 for the fighters' upkeep. 
The rider said he did not have such an amount and his bike was seized by the separatists. Last week, the people of Bamising village also rose against the separatists and attacked their two camps with machetes, killing two of the fighters they accused of regularly abducting civilians for ransom. Three days ago, some separatist fighters in the southwestern town of Kumba killed their leader, called General Divine, in protest of his orders on them to torture civilians. Tapang Ivotanku, the United States-based spokesperson for the separatist group, the Anglophone Defense Forces ADF, says they have taken note of the complaints of civilians and have ordered their fighters to arrest anyone who abuses the rights of the people he says they are supposed to protect. We are strongly condemning all of these uh, soldiers who are turning their weapons against civilians or who are stealing civilians' properties and not protecting civilians. This is adversely affecting the revolution. So we are advising our soldiers that they should respect the Geneva Conventions, which advocate for the respect of civilian rights during a conflict situation like this. Tanku accused the government of Cameroon of buying some of their fighters to tarnish the image of those fighting for the independence of the English-speaking from the French-speaking regions of the country. Deben Chofo, governor of the English-speaking Northwest region, refused the military manipulates the population. He says troops deployed by the government are gaining the confidence of the population with whom they are working to bring peace. The security forces, the administration, the traditional rulers, and the entire population are doing their best to bring back uh, a normal civil life. We are enjoying relative uh, calm, even if we still have hot spots. Rights groups accuse both the Cameroon military and separatists fighting for an independent English-speaking state of using excessive force. The conflict in Cameroon's English-speaking regions started in 2016 when teachers and lawyers protested the dominance of the French language and officials in the bilingual country. Armed separatists in 2017 began demanding a separate English-speaking state, saying they would make the area ungovernable. More than 3,000 people, including soldiers and police, have been killed in mounting violence since. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Bamenda, northwestern Cameroon. As we usher in the new year that saw the end of an eventful 2019 and 2019 to 2009 to 2019 decade, there's little to no time to relax for political parties in South Africa as they prepare for more work ahead of the 2021 local government elections. Nomalizo Mandela caught up with some of the smaller parties as they outlined their plans for 2020. With a lot of smaller parties not doing so well during last year's national elections or hardly making it to parliament, many will be looking to improve with the upcoming local government elections. The few that made gains, however, say that they are not only ready for the municipal elections, but they will also be using however little influence they have to agitate for change. One such party is the new kid in the block, the African Transformation Movement, also known as ATM, which secured two parliamentary seats. The party leader, Viola Tuzungula. 
What we are aiming to do, most importantly, is to keep the executive accountable. It cannot be that the executive keeps on lying to citizens at every turn without no consequence. As well as we are trying to push for amendments to legislation in the country, because our issue in the country is in the nature of the legislation. For example, the repealing of the triple PFA, the amendment of PFMA, as well as introducing legislation that will prioritize South Africans in their own informal economy, as well as ensuring that all of the inmates within the prison uh, centres work for the state for free. Another party that had an impressive showing in the May polls, it's the Freedom Front Plus, which gained six seats and now has a total of 10 seats. The party says one of the issues they will be fighting this year is the expropriation without compensation. Party leader Peter Hunewald. The ESCOM crisis must be solved this year. Affirmative action and black economic empowerment must be abolished. There should be only one criteria when we appoint people, and that is merit. We have the people in South Africa with the knowledge to solve these crises. The Freedom Front Plus will also do its utmost best to stop expropriation without compensation. And we will go to the Constitutional Court on this matter. We will also prepare ourselves for the next year's 2021 local government elections. The Congress of the People, also known as COPE, which performed dismally during the elections, managed to hold on to two seats in Parliament. The party says this year it will focus on rebuilding. Party spokesperson, Dennis Bloom. We are going to go out with a vigorous campaign to recruit women, youth, and students. We are also going to recruit back all our former members who have left the party for different reasons. 2020 must be a change in the Congress of the people. That's why we are declaring this year the year of renewal. Meanwhile, issues expected to dominate our politics this year include the crisis at the power utility, which saw load shading being brought back, high rate of unemployment, economic growth and the land bill. And that report was by Nomalizo Mandela. The time is now 17.14 Central African time. Uh, We'll be right back just after this. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it. Don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. This is Africa Digest.
African National Congress President Cyril Ramaphosa says the land dreams and aspirations of the first Secretary General of the ANC, Solomon Blackie, will be realized. Ramaphosa was speaking at the West End Cemetery in Kimberley this morning where he laid a wreath at Blackie's grave in his honor. This is part of the ANC's celebrations of the January 8th statement this Saturday. He hailed Blackie as a selfless leader and urged the current crop of the ANC leaders to emulate him. He says Blackie's aspirations about black people and land is a historic project that they have to fulfill. Mutalapule Moraki attended that ceremony and filed the following report. The president's gesture is part of the week-long program of the ANC ahead of the party's commemoration of 180th anniversary. All NEC members are in the province on various community engagement as part of the program. President Ramaphosa's program started yesterday when he engaged with community members at Pokwani Municipality at Sakile and Bambirstad. Today, he laid the wreath at Salt Blackie's grave and says his land aspirations must be realized. We are here also to say that the pain that he articulated, the aspirations that he propagated will be realized. We are going to make sure following the resolution that we adopted at our 54th conference, that the dreams and the aspirations that Saul Plyke and his ilk at the time felt and had will be realized when we do indeed move much faster, much deeper with the land reform process. The representative from the first ANC Secretary General Solomon Plyke's family thanked the government for being patient with them during the preparations of the wreath laying at his grave. There has been a feud between two Blackie family factions, with one faction accusing provincial government for not involving them during those preparations. The faction went as far as removing what they referred to as a cage that was erected by government ahead of today's event. The family representative, Obagim Blackie, says they are happy for the honor of their father. In all the dramas that were there among the family, you did not get tired for the family, but you stood with us. We made a promise to the chair that we will co- commit as a like family to make sure that collectively and united as a family, we will afford the ANC to give respect to our father and we will join that respect with the ANC. This icon does not belong to us, but this is a world icon. Moreover, this is the father of the ANC. ANC Provincial Chairperson Zamanesol says it is important for them to ensure that there is unity among the Blackie family. I think what is most important and urgent for the ANC is to try and to work together with the family to ensure that we bring about a semblance of unity within the family and that would assist the ANC in all its programs on celebrating and honoring the life of the first Secretary General of the African National Congress. Sol Blackie Trust spokesperson Hopalam Blackie says he is for unity but maintains those who represented the Blackie family at the event are not his family. Motlalipule Marage, West End Cemetery in Kimberley. Four death row convicts will be executed on January 22nd for the 2012 fatal gang rape, gang rape of a student in Delhi. The horrific crime shook the conscience of the world and underlined rising sexual atrocities, but India's broken judicial system took seven years to finally sign their death warrants. Rana Sen reports. 
designated state executioner Pawan Jallad said it will be an honor to hang the convicts until death in Delhi's maximum security Tihar jail at 7 a.m. Indian time. अब वो तो 22 तारीख में जो भाई डेथ वारंट जारी किया है उसके लिए मैं तैयार हूँ निर्भया के चार लोगों को दी जाती तैयारी करके जब जैसे कि वो वेट करेंगे चारों का जैसे भी जो है ट्रायल देखेंगे इसका रस्ते से चेक करेंगे और तख्ता वगैरह चारों क्या करें चारों वाले दो दो करके लिए लेंगे सिक्स पीपल वेर ओरिजिनली चार्ज विथ रेपिंग ज्योति पांडे वन डाइड इन प्रिजन एंड अनदर वॉज रिलीज आफ्टर अ ब्रीफ डिटेंशन एज अ जुवेनाइल इंडिया रूलिंग पार्टी स्पोक्स वुमन ललिता कुमारंगलम सेट द टाइम has come to fix india's judiciary large amount of the credit has to go to her parents their fortitude their resilience their sheer determination and courage which has finally got them this result otherwise it would have just gone on and on fast track courts don't have judges the date goes on being put off one time after another and then they go on for endless appeals all sorts of things happen there needs to be a time bound process for such cases all rape cases the court process should matter more than the punishment argued supreme court lawyer mihira sood pointing to the 80% of all rape trials stuck in india's legal gridlock i think it's important for those of us working in this field to bear in mind that the process matters even more than the end result and we really need to look at where our trials are going wrong what is the hold up in the lower courts what is the hold up in appeals understand that as much as we talk about creating more offenses under the law as long as the process remains the punishment as it does in this country and while it has certainly improved it's nowhere near acceptable the only son of valerian santos was murdered in 2011 while he was trying to save a woman in mumbai today his killers are out on bail nowadays everybody is fighting about this thing about that thing but the actual thing which is hurting humanity nobody wants to look into that something that is hurting humanity very badly is rape is a girls who cannot roam freely on the roads in this country of mahatma gandhi this country who has so many goddesses and our girls cannot roam freely last month in the southern indian city of hyderabad police shot dead four men held for raping and killing a young female vet wild celebrations that followed sent out a chilling message indians were losing faith in their judiciary this is zana sen reporting from new delhi South African Department of Basic Education has published the matric results of the 2019 cohort with the group achieving a pass rate of 81.3%. Over 787,000 candidates entered for the November 2019 National Senior Certificate Examination. This number was made up of uh, 616,554 full-time and 179,963 part-time candidates. To discuss this further on the results, we are joined earlier by uh, Dr. Felicity Cochlin, the director of the Independent Institute of Education, a private higher education institute in South Africa. I think that it's uh, pretty much in line with expectations. I think everybody is pleased to see that it's up for this again, um, and certainly it would have. Yeah, it's very much in line with what sure. what we were expecting. 
Mm. Now, Doctor, a lot of people, you know, celebrating, of course, that uh, there's been a, a sort of an increase in terms of the pass rate. But uh, people saying that uh, um, the quality of education that we see is not uh, is very subpar, as they say. What are your thoughts on this? Is this fair comment? Well, I think the really important thing is always never to take one measure um, as an absolute story. Mm. So the important thing, if we are seeing an increase in the NEC and the matric pass rate, is then to have a look at how we're doing on other benchmarks, um, whether it's TIMS or whether it's a more formal reintroduction of other national um, assessment points. And then obviously what happens with these young people when they enter the post-school educational market. So, um, you know, it's very easy uh, to polarise people on this issue, to either be celebrating without really questioning or to be automatically negative also without questioning. Um, I think what we need to do far more of is to place the context um, of results as they come out with other measures of whether or not our quality is improving. Mm-mm. Now, we know that from the total number of, of candidates who wrote, uh, not everybody um, got uh, the, the admission into bachelor's studies. What then um, happens to these students? You know, what does the future hold for them? What options do they have at this time? I find that such an interesting question because embedded mm-hmm. in that is mm-hmm. the assumption that everybody should be doing degrees sure. and therefore that there's a problem for the others. Now, the reality is that an undergraduate degree is a very specific type of qualification. And unfortunately, over the last 10 years, we've developed a culture on an assumption that it's degrees or bust. And as a result, we've started to undermine our technical training. We've undermined our vocational training. Whereas those are both in a a technology-driven world are areas where we should be seeing growth. So, um, you know, there's plenty of options, whether it is a diploma-level study or vocational education or um, entering the workplace on some form of um, training connected to work. Mm -hmm. We know that there are areas, you know, some of the the, um, vocational education colleges perhaps are not functioning at the level that they would be. But there are no shortages of options. The question is whether those options are equally spread across the country, whether they're accessible to people. And then the social question of whether we are communicating that those are valued or whether we're expressing concern that you didn't get into a degree, therefore you've got to do a second choice. Whereas, in fact, these other options should probably be the first Mm -hmm. choice even Mm -hmm. for those who did get into degree study. Now, one th- interesting thing that we saw, um, Doc, was the fact that uh, female students were outperforming uh, their male counterparts this year. Um, is this something uncommon and uh, what can we attribute this to? I mean, as the um, IIE as well, um, is this something that you see happening within your institutions as well? Yes, it is. And that's something that has been a, a concern that I've spoken about before. Mm-hmm. Um, for the last, I don't know, about five, six years, there's been an increasing trend both in graduation rates and student success rates of women outperforming men. And again, it's one of those easily polarized subjects because you can celebrate it, you can see it as something that's getting better. But in a country in which we're experiencing the high levels of unemployment and associated violence and social destruction, um, anything that is undermining the success or systemically undermining the success of men is something that I think we need to take really seriously mm-hmm. because it could 
um, be an indication of the social um, dissolution that we have, we see, and it could be a risk. Whether it is or not, I don't think we know, but as much as we should be celebrating at all times the success of women, we need to be sure that we aren't leaving men behind because of the social risk that comes with that. Now, with those uh, matriculants, of course, who have uh, um, uh, successfully completed their matric, um, a lot of anxiety at this time, especially for those who still don't know where they're going to be studying, those who are interested in, in, in furthering their studies. Um, uh, talk to us a little bit, Doctor, just very briefly before we let you go about the options that they have um, within the Independent Institute of Education. So um, we're very fortunate in the Independent Institute of Education to be covering such a wide range. So we've got brands like Rosebank College, which are in the city centres, through to the more suburban brands. We have um, the IEMSA campus. So like other large private providers, there are several options that run parallel to those that are in the public sector. And we are fortunate because of our resource allocations to still be open. So uh, we would strongly suggest that students before they make any choices, have a look at us, but obviously also at all the other options mm-hmm. because success post-school depends on match. You don't have options when you go to school, really, mm-hmm. but whether or not you succeed post-school is about choosing the right space for yourself. And that was Dr. Felicity Cochlin, the director of the Independent Institute of Education, earlier joining us on the line. <laughs> This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyanzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. This is Africa Digest. And now it's time for us to cross on over to Anelensinzi for your latest news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Libyan commander Khalifa Haftar is reported to be meeting Italian Prime Minister amid calls for ceasefire between Haftar's Eastern Militia and the internationally recognized government. U.S. President Donald Trump has sought to downplay the significance of Iran's missile attack on two U.S. bases in neighboring Iraq. And the World Health Organization is asking for more funds in order to save lives during the world's worst outbreak of the measles epidemic in Congo. Channel African News, I am Onelin Zinzi. Self-confident, on top of the situation, capable of picking up improbabilities, contradictions. He was imposing. He was a very tough negotiator. He didn't come up with a, a statement to the negotiations of trying to take revenge, of blame, criticism, bitterness, retribution. What he did was to get into the mind of his adversary 
I don't think the 27 years was a waste. It was quite crucial in the making of who he turned out to be. Nelson Mandela, the key to our freedom, reconciliation and unity. Welcome to Change Your Game here on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We're coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. My name is Asanda Peta. What uh, GDF Forum is about and what an opportunity it provides specifically for the audience of Change Your Game. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. More support, just like invest more in young creatives and entrepreneurship, but actually do it, don't just talk about it, actually do it, you know, because there are a lot of creative minds, there are a lot of intelligent human beings in our country, so I think they should invest more in that and take it seriously, because it's a real thing. Catch us every Friday at 900 hours Central African time with Channel Africa, the African Perspective. This is Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Currently, there's much excitement around the use of uh, cannabis oil. Uh, in the management of conditions associated with chronic pain. This is according to Dr. Alison Richardson, neurologist and spokesperson for Oil Science, a company that specializes in the supply of premium CBD products, who says that it is good to know that there is an extra tool in the toolbox, especially one that's been used for thousands of years and that people know to be relatively safe. However, she adds that safe and effective are two different things. More on CBD oil from Dr. Alison Richardson. So CBD oil, ideally, and you get multiple types of CBD oil that are advertised or sold, um, should ideally be a 100% natural THC-free, either tincture or ointment that we can use for a multitude of different medical conditions. So it is the cannabis oil, right? Yes. Okay. But you've got to differentiate between cannabis oil that contains THC, which in theory is illegal in South Africa, um, at levels greater than 0.3% or 0.3 milligrams, and proper CBD oil, which is the THC-free um, mm. variant. 
Because mm. remember that the THC is what gives you the psychoactive effects, so the negative effects of um, cannabis, whereas CBD does not have any psychoactive effects and acts on a different receptor um, and then does not give you the high that you would with something that contained THC. Oh, okay. And does the CBD actually work when it comes to treating pain? All right. So if you think about pain, you have to think about pain in different ways. Well, there's different types of pain. So you have neuropathic pain, which is pain uh, caused by damage to a nerve. Um, and then we have our acute pain. Uh, that's the pain that you feel if you've broken a bone, if you've cut yourself. Um, and then our last type of pain is central pain, which is otherwise known as nociceptive pain, uh, nociceptive pain, sorry. Um, and that's the pain that you get with central conditions like migraines and fibromyalgia. So something like CBD is not going to work in acute pain. You know, you're not going to take CBD for your broken bone. Um, it will help with our chronic pain conditions such as neuropathic pain and the nociceptive pain um, that we see in migraines and fibromyalgia. So Patients need to differentiate between um, or differentiate what type of pain they have and base that on whether the CBD will be effective because the moral of the story is that it's not effective for all kinds of pain. So the body's endo-CBD system has two cannabinoid receptors, which is the CB1 and the CB2. Talk to us about those and how the CBD oil impacts them. So as you say, we've got our CB1 one receptors and our CB2 receptors. Mm-hmm. If you take, for, for want of a better word, dacha or a CBD oil that has THC in it, this interacts with our CB1 receptors. And those are the ones that are responsible for cognition, our coordination, our mood, our thoughts, our memory. That's the bad type of CB um, receptor and it has a negative effect. If you have a pure CBD with no THC-containing product, it acts preferentially on our CB2 receptors. And what it does is it enhances the body's own system. So we've got our own endocannabinoid system, as you said, um, to make more of its um, receptors, which then has a positive effect on pain, inflammation, mood, sleep, basically all the good things. And um, the researchers have found that um, the application of CBD significantly reduced joint swelling and arthritis, as well as um, preventing the development of nerve damage and associated pain in the joints. So does this say people can use the oil more often and it's safe to do so? All right. So remember that CBD comes as an oil or or a tincture and then it comes as an ointment um, or cream. So when you apply an ointment or a cream, it's only going to act locally. So it's going to act on the skin and everything below the skin without necessarily entering the bloodstream. Um, And that is why it's good for topical application um, over, as I said, joints um, and and nerve injuries. The point is you you use the topical application for a, a specific area Whereas if you're going to ingest it, it would act on the brain and the body's receptors internally. And that was Dr. Alison Richardson, neurologist and spokesperson for oil sciences, on the line talking to Lebuchang Mabange. Ride-sharing services have enormous potential for positive societal impact, especially on congestion, pollution and energy consumption. 
According to the World Health Organization, 9 out of 10 people now breathe polluted air, which is killing some 7 million people annually. These alarming stats prove that traffic is not just a major annoyance for drivers, but is also a major contributor to pollution, which does irreparable damage to people and the environment. AfriRide, a secure ride-sharing application with tailor-made solutions for the African traveling community, is encouraging car-sharing to reduce these challenges. More from Chief Operations Officer at AfriRide, uh, Miriel Muhoza. We're heading towards a shared economy uh, where it's not only one company benefiting from people using their services, but the people using their services are benefiting financially. So, they, so it's the company and it's the individuals sharing the economy. So almost like a communism of, in a capitalistic world. So you have someone who owns a car and has these resources and they're unable to you know, meet their, their financial obligations. So now they can use platforms like AfriRide to just um, share in the economy, share in these funds that are circulating around us. Um, you have, um, like I said earlier, the AA. They released um, a statement that there are more people looking for rides than there are cars on the road. So... And if you think about it, just driving around with NPCs, that is a wasted resource. So if people can actually take those people that are looking for rides and are unable to get cars for whatever reason and put them in their car, not only is this person um, gaining positively economically, but we're also reducing our, our carbon footprint. I mean, the environmental benefit of carpooling is extensive. It's one of the highest recommended things to do when you look at uh, conservation. And it, um, there's also networking. Um, AfriRide, one of our main thing and our main objective is the networking of people. A lot of networking has happened through people um, booking each other's cars or booking each other's seats. And we had someone within the first week of our launching where they offered a luxury car and someone booked that luxury car and that ended up being a business transaction between them. and They came up with a long-term business deal just from that. So the amount of networking and the social positivity that comes from that is, um, yeah, just makes um, carpooling and ride-sharing seems like the only way to go at this time. Now, in terms also of the environment, environmental benefit to this, when people are sharing a car, the environment obviously stands to benefit from this. Yes. Yes, definitely, definitely. You have you you taking one alternative universe and putting it, transacting it into another, where it could have been three or four cars on the road heading in the same direction. Now you're taking those individuals, putting them in this in one car. Now it has turned into one car on the road. And if you think about it, just like I said, driving around with empty seats is honestly a wasted resource. If you can think about on every ride, you go on, you put you can put in um, the amount of seats that are empty in your car and how much you want to charge per seat. So if you think about it, you're making money, you're saving the environment. What else? We, I mean, what is another alternative that beats that? Now, also, in terms of now getting these services, are they easily available if you want to be part of a ride-sharing service because you also run such a service? What can one do to actually be part of this um, a service? The ride-sharing community, it's very easy. You download AfriRide, you go on to AfriRide. So um, let's be relevant to the time right now. If you're going back to work, you want to find a carpooling group or you have a car and you want to um, 
go on to AfriRide and start a car pooling group. You just go on there, you plug in your information, how much per seat, from what direction to what direction, how many times a week, stuff like that. If you are still at home for the holidays and you want to come back, you just download the app, you put in um, your destination. So you're starting, let's say, for instance, from Eastern Cape and you're going back to Pretoria. You just put in that information and you find a seat, you make the payment and you come. A lot of people are not going to be using their cars right now because maybe they're still on holiday. Then you just go onto the app, you download the app, you put in your car information, you put in how much you want to charge per day, you put in um, whether you also want to be involved in the transaction, so you want to give your car as a, and yourself, you know, offer the car with a driver or just the car on its own. You know, it's a very easy. Just download the app, you follow the instructions, and you'll, you know, you're a part of the ride-sharing community. And that was Muriel Muhoza, Chief Operations Officer at Afri Ride, on the line talking to Tuto Ngobeni. Right now, let's cross on over to the Economics Desk, where Tracy Boomgaard is standing by to let you know what's the latest. Thank you, Samora. Trade between Tanzania and other SADC countries has increased 2.3%, with South Africa standing as the country's major trading partner in the region, followed by the Democratic Republic of Congo and Zambia. Tanzania's major exports to the SADC region were cigarettes, wheat, flour, juice, ceramic products, fish, glass, cement, soap, footwear and bricks. Major imports were motor vehicles, maize seeds, iron sheets, lubricants, beer, apples and sugar. The Zimbabwe Council of Churches has urged government to address social and economic challenges in the country or face an uprising. The council says maintaining the status quo is not an option as risks are too high. In a statement released this week, it warned against heavy-handedness as it had done previously. Opposition party, the MDC, added its voice, saying a revolt is a clear and present danger in Zimbabwe fueled by economic collapse and political instability. South Africa's power utility Eskom says there's a high risk of load shedding this evening because the power utility says it needs to replenish emergency reserves. Eskom has a de facto monopoly on power generation in the country and still uses coal for base load generation. Analysts have urged government to allow independent power producers to assist in generating more electricity through solar and wind. Eskom says due to a loss of additional generation capacity on Tuesday, it's had to utilize emergency reserves like diesel generators to supplement capacity during the day. Eskom spokesperson Dikatsu Motai says they will implement load shedding at short notice if the need arises. Early this morning from 1 until 6, we load shed in order to replenish those, and we want to do the same this evening so that we have adequate capacity to meet tomorrow's demand. But I must say the system is quite tight, quite constrained, and if we uh, lose any additional uh, generation capacity, we may need to load shed at short notice prior to that. But as things stand and if things remain the same, we will need to load shed um, this afternoon, but we uh, may need to load shed in the evening to replenish those emergency reserves. 
MTN Cameroon has become the first telco to receive the highest quality certification on its mobile money service. The company says the GSMA mobile money certification is due to significant technological and financial investments. It added that it's committed to making the service even simpler, more affordable and tailor-made to the needs of its users. MTN Cameroon is the fourth operator within the MTN group to be certified after Cote d'Ivoire, Uganda and Ghana. Other operators that have been certified on the continent include Safaricom in Kenya, France Telecoms Orange in Guinea, Democratic Republic of the Congo and Cote d'Ivoire. The head of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, has pledged to strive for a close relationship with Britain after Brexit, with zero tariffs, zero quotas and zero dumping. But she warned that if the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson insists on completing a deal by the end of the year, the EU would have to prioritise. Speaking in London ahead of talks with Johnson, von der Leyen said that there would have to be trade-offs. Without the free movement of people, you cannot have the free movement of capital, goods and services. Without a level playing field on environment, labour, taxation and state aid, you cannot have the highest quality access to the world's largest single market. The US dollars trading at 361.57 Nigerian Naira, at 100.11 Kenyan Shilling and at 14.14 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 4.06 Brazilian Hale, 61.86 Russian Ruble, 71.72 Indian Rupee, 6.94 Chinese Yuan, and at 14.24 South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 89 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,591 and platinum at $972 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is $69.30 a barrel. For Channel African News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. And now it's time for your latest sport. Here's Neto Chmani. Thank you, Samara. From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with cricket news. Proteas fast bowler Kahiso Rabada and wicket-keeper batsman Quentin de Kock have dropped in the latest ICC Test rankings after South Africa lost in the second Test against England. The Proteas lost by 189 runs at Newlands Cape Town on Tuesday and the two teams are now square at one all in their fourth-match Test series with two Tests remaining. Rabada, who took three for 68 and two for 69 in the match, dropped one spot to number four on the ICC Test Bowler Rankings. Proteus Seema Venon Philander, who bid farewell to his home ground after
after announcing his retirement, slipped five places to eighth position. Quinton de Kock dropped out of the top 10 batsman rankings and is currently 12th after scoring 20 and 50 in Cape Town. Meanwhile, England all-rounder Ben Stokes, who was named man of the match, made it into the top 10 betting rankings after scores of 47 and 72. The third test is scheduled to start on Thursday, January the 16th at St. George's Park in Port Elizabeth in the Eastern Cape province. On to soccer news. South African Premiership site Bidvest Vets coach Gavin Hunt says it is too early to talk about who is going to win the league this season. Kaiser Chiefs are sitting on top with 35 points in 15 matches, three points clear of second place to Mamelodi Sundowns, who have played an extra match. Hunt says there is still going to be a twist and turn later in the season. No, 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 no. We haven't even turned the corner yet. We haven't played 15 halfway yet. Us. Not that we can win the league, I'm just saying. I mean, there's so many games to play. Anything can happen. You know, anything can happen. Anything can happen. It's a long, long way. You can never write it off. But right now, yeah, they're in the pound seats. You know, they're doing very, very well. And, you know, so it's for us to... So a game like this doesn't really help sundowns or ourselves. But, you know, it's, it's a long way to go. I know, my friend. When you get to the t- 10 games, when you're under 10 games to go, a lot of things happen, my friend. Highlands Park picked up their confidence in the last two matches of the South African APSA Premiership with some good wins against Golden Arrows and Black Leopards. They had gone five matches without a win before these two games. They can frustrate big opponents away from home and they face Kaiser Chiefs tonight, a site that turned 50 years yesterday. Amako Cimento and Mirandop shares his thoughts ahead of the clash. We are all aware about it, that there is a certain uh, uh, spirit from each and everybody. If you play uh, Kaiser Chiefs and obviously uh, a big crowd uh, coming into, into the stadium F&B. But it's not, it's not an unusual. We are aware about it. There's always some, some percentage more uh, coming in. And uh, that is why I always say uh, our basics must be right. Uh, winning two games now, what happened on Highlands Park, uh, is definitely an additional uh, uh, mental strength uh, to go into a game knowing nothing uh, to lose. You can, can uh, win each and everything. And... Former Black Stars coach Kwesi Ipia says it was an honor to be given the opportunity to coach the senior national team. In a statement released last Sunday, he said his association with the Black Stars, first as a player and subsequently as a coach, has been the source of immense pride for him. Apia's contract as coach of the Black Stars expired on December the 31st, 2019. But before a debate about whether the 54-year-old's contract will be renewed or not, the Ghana Football Association, GFA, terminated the contract of the technical staff of all the national teams. Meanwhile, Apia says he has had talks with the Sudanese Football Association to become the country's immense team head coach. And finally, in tennis news. Stefanos Tsitsipas said he did not mean to hit his father and coach Apostolos with a racket. Swipe in a mid-match feat of wrench during yesterday's ATP Cup loss to Australia's Nick Kajio. The Greek 21-year-old ranked 6th in the world, lost 7-6-6-7-7-6, and took out his frustration after losing the opening set tie-break with two racket swipes near the team bench, the second of which bruised his father's arm.
Apostolos immediately got up from his chair in shock and went up to the stands to sit with the rest of the Greek team with Tsitsipas, who was docked a point and warned by the umpire, received an earful from his mother, Julia Apostoli. It was a, it happened accidentally, I didn't mean to do it, and uh, you know, we straight away forgot about it, moved on from there. Um, it happens, I, I wasn't, my, my, my uh, um, I wasn't aiming to do that, so it just went out of control, unfortunately. Channel Africa, from an African perspective, for Channel Africa Sport, I'm Neto and Etio Chemani. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Samora Magesi, producer Lebo Muswewe, and the rest of the team, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to join us again from 1900 hours Central African time for more news from an African perspective. You can uh, send us an email in the meantime to info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven, or you can tweet us at channelafrica1. Right now, taking us to the top of the hour is Jiggy Jela by Tandeswa Mazwai. We'll see you later.